Gary asked me if I have a three-minute sermon. Not quite, but it's short. It's not really even a sermon tonight as much as just a talk. Um, Charles Spurgeon said this, when we come to study the scriptures, we should try and have our mind well awake to take it in. So when we come to study his word, we should try and have our mind well awake to it. And I think part of that is just setting our focus on him like we've just done. And uh, I pray that, that you'd hear his voice for you tonight. Um, here's here's, here's the, the thought. I just titled la- the, tonight, One Last Thing. One Last Thing. Um, when I'm putting my boys to bed, it is never smooth and it is never easy. I don't know. How, it doesn't matter how much like we try and get ahead of them. Like We know teeth have to be brushed. Jammies have to be on. They're going to hate that I use that term, but, you know, they're, they're, they're still there. You know, cl- close the closet door. Get your last drink. You know, we, we're always, we, we got all the things figured out, and it never fails that there's always this one last line. Oh, wait, Dad, one last thing. You know, my sock is itchy. Or, you know, like, uh, I got to tell Mom something. Or, hey, guess what level I got on to in Fall Guys. I'm like, what's Fall Guys? And then it's like this long, you know, diatribe about these video games. And I'm like, oh, man. Or like, you know, I got to treat my wart. And I'm like, okay, you go talk to your mom, right? Uh, But it's always one last thing, one last thing. And, you know, as I I was thinking about that phrase, um, one last thing, this thought kept coming to me. What if, what if? What if this was my final opportunity to share with you in this capacity? What would I share if this was my last opportunity? And I know it's like not to be dramatic, but the thing is, you know, going away for a period of time, lots can change over that amount of time. I thought, you know, like I began to ponder it and wonder about it. And, you know, Lord willing, I'm going to be back here after the summer and so are you. But I had that thought, what, what if, what if? You know, the uh, following scripture came to mind a number of times over the past while for me, and so I just want to read it to you, and then I just have a couple thoughts on it. So it's, it's in Acts chapter 20. If you have your Bible, just go there. Um, Luke was a, a historian. He's the one who writes this. He was a doctor, and he was actually traveling with Paul, and he was taking notes along the way. So oftentimes, you're like, this was like his travel journal that ended up becoming part of scripture. And uh, I'm glad. I'm glad he wrote these things down. But Here's, here's uh, Acts 20, verse 16. It says this, Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus because he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. So Luke's telling us what's happening and why. But we landed at Miletus, which was a little ways away from Ephesus. He says he sent a messenger to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I've done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. And I'm not trying to compare myself to Paul, but the many tears kind of jumped out. You know, I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. And I was like, they didn't have Zoom, but he found a way to be in their homes. And he said this, and this is kind of the part that jumped out, verse 21. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. That part did not jump out to me. Um, verse 24, but my, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And like I said, I, I'm not 
comparing myself to Paul, but I wondered, you know, when Paul had his opportunity to share his kind of his final words with the, the elders of Ephesus, this is what he said. I had one message and this is what it was. And I began to think back and I'm like, I agree. If there's one thing I would want people to hear, if this was my last opportunity, it would be this. This is that one, that one message. And you saw it in the, in the verses there. I believe it's verse 21. He says the one message was this, three, three thoughts. The, the necessity of repenting from sin, of turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. And, and as I, I thought about that and pondered that, I thought, you know, that it's true. The repenting of sin is, is something so necessary. It's a, he says it's a necessity, but it's, it's foreign. Like, you know, we think of repentance often when I was a kid. Repentance meant like you went and cried at like a, in the front of a church. And it was this emotional thing. God, I'll never do this again. I know I promised that 17 times. But this time I see the tears. I mean it this time. And this, this emotional thing but it's not it's not many of you know that the the word just simply means change your mind about it change the way you think about sin because we have these thoughts about sin that that for they're often they're not in line with the word of god that we would align our definition of sin with what the word says is sin why because in our culture the temptation right now is to ignore it to downplay it to alter it to tolerate it to accept it to embrace it to celebrate it and ultimately to become it and that is what we're up against every single day. And why do I say that? Because the temptation is to ignore it. You know, it's not fun to talk about sin. Nobody's like, oh, sweet. I was hoping you were going to talk about that tonight. It's not fun. It's not popular. You know, in our culture, it's this idea of downplaying it. It's not that bad. You know, it's not that bad. And, and uh, as, the, as the meter, the, the line keeps getting further and further, in the church, we see the same thing happening where there'll be some who's like, I don't want to say something unpopular. So I'm going to just say, you know, it's really, it's not that bad. It's not, there's worse things and it's not that bad. But then what happens? We try and alter it, change the definition of what sin is to fit culture. Okay, well, those things are, but mm, we're, we, can make some, we can make some concessions for this. And what happens then? We begin to tolerate it. That it's always going to be there. You know, it's just the way it is. We just have to tolerate that. But the thing is, sin is never happy with tolerating it. Sin is never happy with us just tolerating it. It wants to kill you. Those are some powerful words. But that's why Paul said the necessity is that we actually change our minds about what we think sin is. It is not just okay. It is not just something we can tolerate and accept and whatever else. Because it will lead you to more and more things. To, to, to embrace it. To celebrate. To become it. There's a quote. I don't know. A number of people have said it. But it said this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. All the time. It's going to cost you more than you want to pay. And it's going to keep you longer than you want to stay. Why? Because it's a slave master. And Paul's like saying, hey, the only thing, this one message I had is there is a necessity for all of us to be living in, in a repentance of sin. You know, we learned from Romans that he said the, the, the wages of sin is still death. It always is. It doesn't mean if you're, if you're a Christian or not. It, it brings, it's always got death tied to it. You know, it may not be, as a Christian, it may not determine your eternal destiny, but it can affect your marriage, it can affect your relationships, it can affect everything else in your life. And that's why there's, Paul's saying there's this necessity of repenting from sin, changing our minds about it. You know, and so tonight, and if you're online watching or you're here in the building, you're not a Jesus follower. You're not a follower of Christ. What is it? It's tempting for, for um, to, in that situation, to compare yourself with others. It's always easier to find somebody who's, a, who's got a little worse off than, uh, off than you. They're, they're, they're definitely not as good as you. And I've had lots of conversations with people. And you know what the conversations often go? I know I'm not perfect, but I'm a pretty good person. I know I'm not, I'll admit, I'm not perfect, but, I, but I'm a pretty good person. And I think what happens, and Paul would say, man, you're missing the point. The point is not acceptance of I'm a pretty good person, but repentance of saying I'm not good enough. 
It's that first part, I'm not perfect, matters more than I'm a pretty good person. And, and see, if, if that perspective, if you hold on to it, you'll never realize that you need a savior. You'll always coast on I'm a pretty good person until you find out one day that pretty good wasn't good enough. And that's why it's so, Paul's saying, man, this is the one thing I want you to hear. You know, in, in God's eyes, you know, for you think, hey, I'm pretty good. He said, you know, our good works on their own, they're like filthy rags to him. Filthy rags. Now, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any pictures tonight. You're going to be thankful that I don't because this past uh, two weeks ago, I had to open up our septic tank. And uh, I felt like taking a picture. And I thought maybe I can use that as an illustration sometime, but I didn't. But you have a mental picture, right? So you, you know. Um, and so cleaning out the septic tank is pretty disgusting. But you know what, the, what, what Scripture tells us and, and the way it describes it in that time for modern days uh, the readers would be this. That somebody who thinks I'm pretty good, I've got some pretty good works or whatever, is only the cleanest piece of toilet paper in the septic tank. <laughs> Still lost. It doesn't matter if you've got pretty good works. I know. And some of you are like, that was like way too far. I don't think it's far enough. But I won't go any farther. But that's why Paul's like saying, hey, this necessity of sin, there's nothing good in us. There is nothing good in us without Christ. We aren't ever going to get there. We're not going to be able to become a better person. He's like, there's a necessity to repent of that, to change our minds about this. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, the temptation doesn't go away. It's tempting for us to hold on to little bits of the old life. You know, we, we, we find ourselves, um, you know, we'll find ourselves there for the duration of our life. There will always be these ties that, we try, that, that will try and hold on to us or that we'll try and hold on to. And, uh, you know, he's continuing to work that stuff out of our lives. Even tonight, you know, you feel like, oh, I feel something in there. That's Holy Spirit's conviction because he loves you. That's not my words trying to condemn. That's his saying, hey, this is, this is, what, I'm, this is what I mean. This is not good. It's not good for you. Last week we talked about when you run the race. He's like, lay aside the weights and the sins because they'll entangle you. They're going to make it harder to run. He's like, hey, just lay that stuff aside. What is that? Repent. Change your mind about it. It's, it's no good having one foot in and one foot in the world and one foot in the word. Just let those things go. Change your mind about those. And what is it? You know, it's realizing that they're never going to satisfy me. And it's this thought of like, you know what? <laughs> As a Jesus follower, those things in my life that, are, that I know are sin, I, I want them crucified to that cross before they kill me. It's like leaving a parasite on the inside of you like, yeah, it's going to be okay until it eats you from the inside out. He's like, that, that, I, I'm not taking any chances. I'm, I'm crucifying it there. And so before you think, oh, we got to be better people, Paul's second thought is this, turn to God. There's a necessity of repentance, but there's a turn to God. And he's not just giving the order of events, not just like, hey, you know, repent of sin, then turn to God and have faith in Christ. He's like, he's actually giving you the power to do it in this sentence. It's this idea of saying, you know, I'm going to turn, I'm going to turn away from sin by turning to him. I, I'm not, we're not in the business of behavior modification. It wasn't like, oh, you know, we washed him. He's sin free for the rest of his life. <laughs> He's always that reminder. Keep your eyes, keep your eyes on Jesus. Because, you know, so many think Christianity is the do's and don'ts. It's like, oh, I got the list. I got the list. I, I, I don't drink as much. <coughs> I don't swear as much. I don't smoke as much. I don't party as much. I don't spend as much. I don't eat as much. I don't, whatever your thing is, I feel a little better because I'm not doing that as much. You know, or maybe it's the I do's. Well, I do go to church now. You know, I do try to be a better person. I do believe there's a God. I do give to charity. I, I, I'm doing these things and none of it matters. None of it matters. All he says, I want your eyes on, on him turning to him. 
You know, the truth is the gospel is still the answer for every world problem today. The gospel is still the answer for every world problem today. You know, in the prodigal, the story of the prodigal son where he's sitting in that pig pen, you know what he doesn't say? He doesn't say, you know what? This pig pen sucks. I'm going to go down to the pig pen down the road and see if it's better. Maybe they have better slop to eat for me. He doesn't. He's like, you know what? This sucks. I'm, I'm going home. I'm going back to my dad. I know he's good. I know he's kind. I'm going back to him. And man, that's my prayer, that people, if you find yourself in that place where Christianity was a religion or you're, or you're lost, that you would be like, you know what? I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to go back to the one who's good. It's why Jesus, when he came to reveal the goodness of the love of the father, he was praying that, and that people would experience what the Old Testament Psalms sung about. Psalm 34, verse 8 said, taste and see that the Lord is good. What's he saying? Experience him. Man, have you experienced the goodness of God in your life? I believe, you know, anybody who's gone through this tank has experienced the goodness of God. His forgiveness, His grace, His mercy. He's like, man, I, man, I know it. You know, I was reading Psalm 23, and for the sake of time, I won't read the whole thing tonight. But man, as I read that, I was like, man, He is amazing in so many ways. We usually read it at funerals. It's a shame because it's so good for life. The Lord's my shepherd. Man, I don't have need of anything when He's around. If I keep my eyes on Him... You know, he says, what does he do? He, he lets me rest in green meadows is the way the New Living says it. But the, the, the King James or New King James, he makes me lie down. <laughs> you know, rest for me? I don't know about you, but I'm in a world of go, 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 go. And this whole thing of taking time off for a sabbatical scares me like to, to no end. I'm like that, that because it's, it's such a, and it's such a lie. The world the world's system of go, go, go is such a nasty master because it always leaves you empty. You've just got you to keep going. You never arrive. You never achieve. And he's like, whoa, slow down. I got all this. You just rest. You know, I was reading a book um, by Philip Keller, and he just talks about how sheep, they can't rest unless they're fully fed, unless they know they're safe. And he's like, that's what I'm doing. I, I got you. I, I, I got you. You are, you, are, uh, you are in my hand. You can rest. And man, you know, the, I read this thing that the greatest sermons aren't the ones that are preached, it's the ones that are lived. And this was a line for me that was like two days from now, <laughs> two days from now, am I going to live it? God, I'm like out of my element. I just, it's just me and you. I don't have all the things that may try and give me identity anymore. Huh? It's just simply him. And to just rest. And man, I'm looking forward to him doing that in my life. You know, Paul's prayer for the Ephesian believers was that they would experience the love of God. And to the Romans, he said, don't you know that's the kindness of God that actually led us to repentance? Love those thoughts. Love those thoughts. He's good. If I could let you know one last thing, it is that he is good. He is good. And then Paul said this, trust in the Lord Jesus. Repent of sin. Turn to God. And trust in the Lord Jesus. Because he's Lord. I don't know if we are aware of that, but he is Lord over all creation. He's the creator of it. He is Lord over it. He's Lord over all, every, every other authority, over every government, over every, any structure of authority. He's Lord over all of it. We will all bow the knee one day, everyone. And he's Lord over time. There's no, there's no distance. There's no nothing. And the question is this, will you trust him? Will you trust him? Will I trust him? In John 14, he said to his disciples this. He says, I, I, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. You know, I think of these thoughts. The way, Jesus, 
ah, I trust you. I'm going to follow you no matter how straight and narrow our culture claims this to be. Why can't you like allow that? Why can't you? No, you know what? He's Lord. I'm going to follow him no matter what this path looks like to you, to me. To me, it is salvation. And I will walk it without any, any complaint. He's the way. He's the truth. You know, we know that there's so much pressure for my truth, your truth, and whatever. There's no absolute truth, and our world is suffering because of it. But then we would just stand and say, you know what? There is an author of truth, an author of absolute truth. He is the truth. And his spirit leads and guides us into truth. And so Jesus, your truth versus all the rest, I'm going to stick to yours no matter what it costs. And then finally, he's the life. He's the author of life. He's the giver of life. He's the sustainer of life. He's the giver of eternal life to those who put their trust in him. And we're living it now. Jesus followers, you're eternally alive already. You're going to check out one day from this. Close your eyes here. You're going to open them in eternity. But you already have that life right now. Right now. And to live and to walk in it. And why do we... uh, why do I say that? Because this is, the, this is the one last thought. Paul was simply reminding the Ephesian church leaders that this thing about trusting a person was more than trusting a religion or a religious practice. It was the person. And then he goes on to say at the end, I use my life to finish the work that he called me to. And I just would want to leave that with you as Kingsway Church. Could you say the same thing? Finally, I use my life for finishing the work that he has assigned to me. Have you considered, whatever age you are, have you considered... Have you considered what that means for your life? As a Jesus follower, as a Christian, that you have a purpose in his kingdom. Do you know that? Do you know that? Do you know? Some are like, oh, wait, I have a gift. I have a purpose. Yeah, you're not in this thing by accident. He has gifted you uh, specifically for his kingdom. And it's like we, you know, he describes in as many ways as he can so that people would get it. He's like, it's like a family. Everybody has their chores in the family except for the babies. So if you want to be babies, well, all right. But as you mature in Christ, it's like, ah, yes, I, I play a part. I'm either, you know, worshiping or I'm praying with somebody or, you know, I'm the one who's there. We have a guy in our church. He's a lawnmower and he just, he keeps bringing people. He keeps bringing his clients to church. What is he? He's like the most gifted lawnmowing evangelist I've ever met. Why? Because he said, I, I know what I'm good at. It ain't preaching, but I'm good at mowing lawns. And when people ask me, why do you do that? He's like, because I got somebody watching me, and it's, not, it's more than just you. I'm doing it for him. Who does that? You're like 19. I know. Hey, you should come to my church. Love it. I love it. What about you? What, what is it for you? What, may it, what might it be? He says it's like a body. Every part is a function. The hand doesn't talk normally. You know, the foot doesn't talk. But, man, they, they, they do amazing things. And for some, it's like, well, I'm not good at that. But you're great at something. I know it. I know. What is it? And how do you use it for his glory? And he says the church is like every person's connected for a reason. And, and we all grow as a result of you. I think it's you know, an amazing thing that as I leave over the next little bit, it's barely going to be any different. People have risen to the spot to say, yeah, hey, I, know, I, know I, I know my place in here. We're gonna, we know how to fill these voids. We know how to make it. It's, not even, it's like he's not even gone. My greatest fear is you may discover you don't even need me back. <laughs> You'd be like, ah. Why? Because it really is about him. He's the head. He's the head. He's the one. And we're connected to him, contributing to the good of all. And so I just want to leave you with this, that I'd encourage you to continue to be his church, whether that's online, whether that's in this place, whether wherever you may attend or be a part of, to be his church. What has he gifted you to do in this life? How do you use that for his glory? And then finally, 
just to keep your eyes on Jesus. To keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the author. He's the one who started it. He's the one who took you here. He's the one who finishes it in your life. Keep your eyes on him. So if I had to share any final last words, I'm grateful. There's no tears tonight. It's good. It's, no, it's good. But there's one message that I would wish that everybody heard if this was the last opportunity. That you would change your mind about sin because it's trying to kill you. That you would turn to God because he's good. And that you would trust Jesus and leave everything else behind. Trust him only. Keep your eyes on him. You will not regret it. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to be a part of this amazing family. Thank you for the chance to celebrate with Tim and Reed tonight. Oh, man, what you're doing in their life is, is brilliant and beautiful. Thank you for that and for their courage to make that public declaration. Thank you for Russ, what you're doing in his life, even outside of this country, because your kingdom knows no bounds. Thank you for the blessing of that. And Father, thank you for the stories I don't know tonight of each person, whether they're even in this building or online, that you're moving through them, that you're reaching this world through your kids, that you're shining in them as they shine for you. So Father, I pray you'd stir that up in us, that maybe tonight, whatever it was that we needed to hear, maybe we've got to let some things go. Maybe we've got to just set our sights on you or just simply just trust you above all. Holy Spirit, would you do in us what I can't? Would you just drop in each individual heart here tonight what the next step is for them, that you desire for them in this journey? And above all, Jesus, I pray that you are glorified, <laughs> that heaven will be filled with many more shouting glory to your name someday, because it is what you've done for us that matters most. Giving your life for us is a sacrifice none could of us could ask for, none of us could deserve. But man, we're grateful. Thank you, thank you, thank you. May you be glorified in and through your church this summer, I pray, in your name. Amen. 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 Well, thank you for joining us tonight. Thanks for the extra little bit of time. Uh, appreciate it. You know, we've got some questions. I forgot to make some, so Gary made some up, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, here we go. What uh, jumped out at you from today's talk? What is it tonight? You're like, okay, you know what? I heard that, and that was for me. I didn't call your mom or, you know, talk to your husband or anything like that. That's, that's how Holy Spirit works. He wants you to think more about it. Second, have you taken time to rest in him lately? Thanks a lot, Gary. <laughs> that was for me. Oh, thanks, Chris. Yeah. You know, I think, that's a, I, I, I think that's a really, really important question for us to ask in today's day and age. Have you just taken time to rest in him? Just to be with him. Third, what would be the one last thing you would share with someone if you had one last opportunity? If tonight you knew, hey, this is my last chance to share the most important thing in my life with this group of people, and I handed you the mic, what would it be? I won't do that tonight because we haven't given you fair warning, but this is it. I had hours and hours and days and days to think about that as I prepared for this. What's the grand finale going to be? Part of me was like, I'll just mail it in, you know, make the guest speakers look awesome. But uh, <laughs> what was it? And it's the gospel for me every single time. It's Jesus every single time. What is it for you? Pray that that Holy Spirit just digs those things deeper in your heart. And thank you for being here tonight. We have um, cookies to celebrate my birthday because we have cookies every week. Uh, and so, but uh, June, thanks for spreading the word, I think. And uh, thank you to my wife for dressing me tonight. And thank you for each of you for being here.
is a blessing, and I will miss you greatly, but I will not be answering your phone calls and emails uh, until I see you later.